go ahead and open your Bible to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. You ever been in a big crowd of people and maybe there was someone speaking or maybe there was someone that was just in your midst and everybody else is going, wow, this is incredible. And maybe you said to yourself, maybe you didn't even say it out loud. Well, you know, you guys may think he's incredible, but I just don't get him. Or maybe you're with a group and nobody else gets this person, but, but you think to yourself, you know, I, I really get him. I connect to him. I understand him. Well, today we get to a story in Scripture where a woman, here's our headline today, a woman, she gets him. I mean, she absolutely gets Jesus. We've been studying through the book of Mark over the last few months. And some people get him and some people don't. And today we see a woman who gets him. Because let me, let me explain to you. Christianity is a response. And she responds in a lavish, beautiful way. It's a response at core. It's understanding how wonderful God is, and it's you responding. I mean, fill in the blanks for the following scriptures. We love Him because... Jesus said, if you love me, you will... And then back a couple chapters earlier, Jesus says, when someone asked Him, tell me the big deal, tell me the number one command, Jesus says, it's to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a response of love. And we understand that. And so we get to this chapter. I want you to see the context. Because the context of this story is horrific. Go to Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. As it's Passover, there may be two million people in Jerusalem. They want to get Jesus, but they're scared. How do we arrest him in the middle of this? The people went crazy when he walked into town the other day. What are we going to do? And yet God has his timing, doesn't he? And God wants Jesus to be crucified Friday afternoon and he wants him to die Friday afternoon at three o'clock. Why? Because it was Friday afternoon at three o'clock on the Passover week when the lamb that was slaughtered. And so the moment the lamb was slaughtered in the Passover, the Passover lamb of all time was slaughtered on a cross. And so God doesn't let their timing interfere. He's going to push the envelope. And then on the other side of the story, we're going to look bracketing this story is verse 10. They find a way to do it. Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So you see the brackets? you got the chief priests, teach the law. They're trying to find a way to kill Jesus. At the end of our story, Judas is finally tipped over the edge and he's willing to hand him over. Now, what happens in between is absolutely beautiful. Here's the story. Verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. 
And we know from other gospel accounts that not only does it go through from, on his head, but it trickles it's all the way down to his feet. Here's Jesus. It's the last week of his life. This is probably Saturday night. He chooses to spend his last free time with a friend named Simon who had been a leper before he healed him. And coming in is this woman. Now we know from other gospel accounts the name of this woman. Her name is Mary. She is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she absolutely loves Jesus. And she comes in, and the Greek language here is really awkward because there's so many adjectives lined up. It's expensive, it's pure, it's nard. Nard was a special kind of perfume that came all the way from India. It was extremely expensive. In fact, we'll find out that this, this perfume, this is not cheap perfume, not dime store perfume, not even cologne, certainly not Toilet water. Who would give their spouse toilet water? That's, that's a weird one to be, all right? It's worth a whole year's wages. It's probably a family heirloom. She saved this her whole life. It's worth a whole year's wages. I mean, you know, what are you going to blow? You know, think about what you make in a whole year. What are you going to blow in one moment? And who would you blow it on? This woman knows she would want to give it to Jesus. And then look, after she's done this, there's some folks who want to throw a wet blanket on the party. Verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, the money given to the poor, and they rebuked this woman harshly. Now, I don't know about you, but at first glance, I wonder if they're right. This seems very wasteful. I mean, we just saw a couple of chapters ago where Jesus asked the rich young ruler to do what? Sell everything he had and give it to who? The poor. I mean, I, I can sort of understand their position. I mean, Jesus, you know, you, you told this guy just the other day to sell everything he had, not wasted in a few seconds on you, but, but you, you told him to sell everything he had and give it to the poor. And, and, and now you're going to be okay with this woman coming in? We're, we're not okay with it. We don't think you'll be okay with it either. She's just wasted an awful lot of money on you. And we could have given that to the poor. Wow. Now, we understand behind the scenes, we know from the Gospel of John, that the motives are a little bit more mixed than that. John chapter 12, verse 6 says, Judas was the ringleader of this deal. And he said it not because he really wanted to give it to the poor, but because Judas wanted to go in the treasury. And guess what? Judas is milking the treasury. So the motives really aren't that pure. Now, listen to Jesus' response. Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Listen, what makes this so awesome and so beautiful? This woman gets it. 
She understands what's going on. She understands what's coming up. And she goes ahead and she anoints Jesus' body for his burial. And Jesus said, Oh, maybe it doesn't serve utilitarian purposes. Maybe in your human eyes it doesn't look so useful. Maybe it looks wasteful to you. But to me it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, we've got quite a contrast in this story. We've got a contrast between Judas and his love, or lack of love, and Mary and her love. Let's study this a little bit. What do we find out about Judas's love? How, how does Judas treat this situation? Well, first of all, Judas is chintzy. We got any chintzy people in here this morning? Stop poking her. Stop poking him. All right. There's some people that are just chintzy, and, and Judas is being chintzy about this whole money. But, but more than that, he's calculating. Uh, Judas is running a cost-benefit analysis. He's trying to figure out, you know. Now, first of all, I think Judas is trying to figure out his relationship with Jesus and what he really thinks of Jesus. He's also trying to figure out this whole money situation. Because obviously Judas already has some doubts about Jesus. Things are not turning out the way he thought they would. They expected Jesus to march into town and, and to run the Romans out. And Jesus goes in and he runs the Jewish leaders out of the temple and everybody's perturbed. And, and if you've got any sense at all, you know Jesus is in trouble. And Judas is running this cost-benefit analysis. And at one moment he thought, my goodness, I'm riding Jesus' coattail into power. And now he goes, I may be riding Jesus' coattail to death. He's not a stupid man. He can figure out what's the best way to go. And so now he's trying to figure out, okay, you know, what, what, what I do? And so he's got this idea, if I were to betray Jesus, I could sell him. I mean, this whole thing's about to flounder and fall flat on its face. It's not what we expected. At least I could get 30 pieces of silver out of it. Now, now this, is, this is pretty incredible. You, you know that 30 pieces of silver was the price for the most lowly slave in this day. He thinks, at least I can get that. And so he's calculating. He's selfish. He, you know, he's following Jesus for what's in it for him. And if we got to say anything about his love is that it's dead. Because in a few days, Judas will understand what he did. And Judas himself will go out and he will kill himself. Now contrast this with this woman, Mary, and her love. Where Judas was chintzy, she is extravagant. So extravagant, she's criticized. Oh, her critics, listen, their criticism says more about them than it does about her. But she, she is so in love with Jesus. I mean, she's watched him. She's heard him teach. She's seen him resurrect her brother from the dead. She understands what he's doing. And so she, she just, she can't hold back. And she's impulsive. I mean, you know, right on the spot, it seems to me she makes this decision. I got to do something to worship Jesus and tell him how much I love him. She goes and finds the most expensive thing she has and pours it all over him. She's not self-conscious. She's not worried about anybody, what they think about her. She's not worried about the disciples being upset with her. And here's what I love about this. 
my goodness, what she does, it spreads. You see, Judas ruins a beautiful moment. Jesus says, this is a beautiful thing. We understand that, don't we? Let's say for some reason you're able to go to Paris on vacation and you're at the Louvre Museum or maybe you're at the Eiffel Tower and you're having an incredible, beautiful, romantic time. In the middle of it, you say to your wife, you know, if we hadn't come to Paris, we could have bought that new furniture we need for the living room. We could have had the couch reupholstered for what we're paying for this meal. What have you done? You just absolutely ruined the moment. Or maybe it's your anniversary and you go out to a, a nice restaurant. You go beyond McDonald's to Hardee's. I mean, you, um, <laughs> no, but you, you go out to, to City Grill or you go out, you know, uh, what's the nice place? In the, I mean, you go out somewhere really, really nice. In the middle of the meal, while you're celebrating your anniversary, you say, you know, mm, we really needed this money for our cell phone bill. You've ruined the moment. We celebrated recently my mom's 80th birthday, and we all got together and had a great time. And we grilled out steaks. Really nice steaks. Don't laugh. It's true, okay? (laughs) I am chintzy, but not that chintzy. And you know what? I've seen these before. You can buy steaks at the Dollar Tree. I've done it. But for my mom's 80th birthday, I promise you, we didn't serve those. That, that would ruin, oh, mom, steaks, where'd you get them? The Dollar Tree. <laughs> you ruined the moment. Judas ruins the moment. Mary gets it. Mary gets the moment. Because, let me ask you, as you look at these two lists, who are you more like in your love relationship with Jesus? Are you chintzy? Are you calculating? Are you selfish? Are you sitting here thinking, if I really gave my life to God, what would it cost me? What would I have to do? Would I have to stop doing some of these things, you know? I mean, how much is God going to give me? If I really started giving the way I should, is God going to give me more back? I mean, you're calculating and trying to figure this whole thing out. And honestly, you're chintzy when it comes to church and comes to God and what you do. Here's your attitude, Lord. Give me the minimum, Lord. Tell me how many times i got to go to church. How many minutes do I have to read my Bible? How much do I have to pray? How many people do I have to invite? Just give me a number, buddy. Give me a number, and I'll go right to that edge, and I'll stop. That's Judas. Or you like this woman, you go, oh my goodness, I'm so blown away by Jesus. Tell me, I'll do anything. I mean, this is going to get extravagant. This is going to get crazy. This is going to be impulsive. Some people are going to look at what I do for God and go, you are out of your mind. You shouldn't have done that. It was wasteful. Who are you more like? Well, let's look a little deep, deeper. What is the difference? Well, why is Mary so different than Judas? Think about this. Here's the great tragedy of this story. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. If anybody should get him, know him, understand him, want to serve him, you'd think it'd be Judas. But despite the fact of all that time with him, it's like a lot of church folks today. You've been to church every Sunday for years and years and years, but you still hadn't got it. And so you're chintzy, and you're calculating, and you're uncommitted. Judas should have got it, but he didn't. Mary got it. Let me give you the line. Here's the line. She got Jesus and was overwhelmed by his love. 
and responded with lavish love. She loved him and she responded. Guys, that's the key. She just flat loved him. She didn't love him so much for what he could do for her or what the bottom line was going to be. Listen closely. Listen closely. This is the key to this message. She loved him. A great transition in your spiritual life is going to be when you transition from following God because of what he can do for you to following God simply because you love him. You see, for this woman, Jesus was enough. For many of us, it's Jesus, I'll follow you, man. If you bless me, I'll follow you if I've got good health. I'll follow you if all the finances lined up. I'll follow you, you know, if my marriage goes good. I'll follow you if my children turn up. I'll follow you when the church is really on fire. I'll f- if, 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 if. This woman, I just love you. Jesus, if everything else around me falls apart, you are enough. You're enough. That's a huge transition, guys. I ask you, have you made that transition? You see, he is the benefit. Have you really gotten Jesus? I can tell you when I first got Jesus. I grew up in church. I heard all the stories. I knew the right and wrong. I knew all the legalistic laws of what you should do and shouldn't do. But I heard a preacher say one day, he asked two questions, actually. He said, "Um, when you see Jesus, who do you see? And we all got it. And we said, we see God. And then he said, when you see the apostles, who do you see? And we all blew it because we said Jesus. And he said, no, the apostles show us us. Revolutionary in my life. So then I started reading the Gospels. And I saw Jesus. And I saw the apostles. And I saw the way Jesus treated them. And guess what? It wasn't the picture I had of God. God was a whole lot nicer and kinder and loving than I ever thought. And I figured out if he could put up with them, He could put up with me. And I got it. Have you gotten it? Let me give you real quickly, just practical. Let me give you five love languages with which you can use to express your love for God. Just just real quickly here, write these down. Number one is time alone. It's that closet time we've been talking about the last few weeks. You just get that time alone to be with God. Number two is service. One of the ways that you express your love toward Jesus is by serving others. Matthew 25, when you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Number three is loving people. The book of 1 John says, if you want to know if somebody loves God, watch if they love people. You just love building relationships and you love God loving these people through you. Number four is one we mentioned early in our service. It's giving. And number five is worship. 
And those are, those, are, those are wonderful ways for you to express your love toward God. Those are great love languages. Now, now, let me ask you, as you look over these today, what is your most natural love language? In, in which of these five do you need to stretch yourself to grow? I mean, just think about those. Those are for you to take home and think about. Here's the final question I want to ask you this morning. Do you get him? If you get him, it's going to be, un- it's going to be extravagant, it's going to be unselfish, and it's going to spread. I mean, Jesus said about this woman, everywhere the gospel was ever preached, I want you to tell this story. Now, why is this story so important? Seems a little bit insignificant in the big scheme of things, but Jesus says everywhere it goes, you better talk about it. Here we are 2,000 years later being obedient to what Jesus said. Why is this story so important? Because God wants us to be like this woman. He wants our love to be extravagant, unselfish, uncalculating. He wants it to spread. He wants us to be satisfied with Him. Because when, when, when we get this, it can change everything. I've got, got a new philosophy of how this church ought to grow. Man, I can read, we, and we do. We read all the books about what you're supposed to do with services and Bible class and small groups, and there's all kinds of mechanics, and I love that kind of stuff. But you know what I finally figured out? You know, you know when we're going to really explode is when we just so fall in love with Jesus that it just extravagantly goes out from us. I mean, we start doing things that, that, that people go, why would you do that? That makes no sense. It doesn't add up money-wise. I mean, you're crazy in what you're doing. Even fellow disciples may, may criticize us because we just have fallen so in love with Jesus that we can't stop speaking about Him. We can't stop learning about Him. We can't stop worshiping Him. We can't stop giving to Him because we finally, we finally get it. There, there's, a, there's an old hymn we're about to sing and it has this great line in it. Love so amazing, so divine, demands, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's not demands like you better do it, you don't do it. I mean, no, 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 no. It's demands. When I see how much Jesus loves me, When I see how, because see, this woman is just responding to who Jesus is. Jesus is unselfish. Jesus doesn't just give away a year's wages. He gives away his life. And that demands, not demands. That demands my life. My soul, my all. If you get it, you can't hold back. And we're going to spend a few moments now just in a block of praise songs. If you get it, I'm telling you, get unselfconscious and worship God. Don't worry about what the people around you are thinking. Worship Him. And if for some point to this point you've not gotten it, maybe you need some prayers. Maybe it's honest. It's a time of honesty for you to come before this church and say, man, I've been coming to church for years. I've been doing all this, but I still don't quite get it. You know, I always think in this story, if Judas had ever been honest, if he'd ever confessed, do you think Jesus would have taken him back? It could have been the greatest story in the Gospels. Greatest story in the book of Acts. But he never got it. And if you hadn't gotten it, 
won't you let us pray for you this morning? Because I believe God will, God will help you get him. And when, here's the line I meant to begin the sermon with. If you get Jesus, if you get Jesus, God gets you. All right? If you get Jesus, God gets you. So either stand there and praise him with all of your might or come to this front row and let us pray for you. Let's all stand together and sing.